Eric's running around vacuuming. Carol's <laughs> in a bad mood. Stephanie's talking nonstop, and there's no way I'm going to be able to do that inside. So. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. So hanging out in the garage in your boat. Yeah. It's so biblical. It's got feet in it, so that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, you're set. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. Well, this morning, um, I just wanted to start our time actually in John 10. So you can turn there. Or I'm just going to read a few verses. It's up to you. And then we'll, we'll end up over back in, in Romans 8. But uh, I've just been thinking a lot about this uh, in our time in Romans of how important it is to know um, the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we're going to talk more about that today. What is change? What is growth? What does walking by the power of the Holy Spirit look like? What is putting sin to death? I, I really want to just have a conversation knowing it's, it's a small group today, um, just for even the four of us here to have a conversation of what, what does putting sin to death and walking in righteousness look like on a daily, weekly basis for each of us? would love to just get really practical on that today. Um, but with that, just kind of where we've been in Romans, just recognizing how important it is to know the difference as the way Romans 8 starts, the difference between the voice of condemnation or the voice of conviction. Um, and so I, I wanted to read, I mean, the whole passage is so good, but I'm just going to read a few verses in John 10 where Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. And... Um, I'll start in verse 3, as he's talking about the, good, the shepherd. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hears his voice, or hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, they, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Um, and keep reading John 10, you know, maybe later today or sometime this week. It's just so rich. But um, I, I was just thinking about that of um, just how often we confuse other voices for the voice of our good shepherd. And I, I think that's what Paul's getting at the heart of when he's saying, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? For the law, the spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus. And I don't know about you, but even as we talk about putting sin to death and walking in righteousness, I think one of the hardest things for me, um, maybe I'm just a basket case and I'm all up in my head all the time, but one of the hardest things for me is separating my own voice um, or uh, voices of um, deceit from from the good voice of my good shepherd and really hear his voice to know that he knows me by name he calls to me and he leads me to hear his voice and to follow him and not confuse that for for the other voices that are trying to distract or pull away I love even just the imagery of, of if a stranger calls to these sheep, they won't follow because they know it's not the voice of their good shepherd. Just thinking about that, what if we became so familiar with the voice of the good shepherd um, that no other voices could lead us away? No other voices uh, could distract or tempt or pull us because... As soon as that thought pops in our head, we say, 
that's that's a stranger right there. That's not my good shepherd. So before I pray for us, anything in that that maybe grabs your guys's attention or or you could relate to there from John ten? No, I think that it's uh, the more you get into this, mm. the more your life is consumed by the word, yeah, you know, prayer, and, and that I think that voice becomes a little bit more prominent mm-hmm. and then you can tell that strange voice. Um, and then when you have a significant other who has now joined you, mm-hmm. that voice becomes a little bit stronger because now they are experiencing mm-hmm. that voice and they share that voice, you know, with you. So it kind of reinforces it. Um, but I think it, you know, that comes along with faith mm-hmm. to me, you know, when you've released or surrendered yourself to Christ and you've lived, you start beginning to live according to that spirit. I think that opens you up to hear that voice. Mm-hmm. If you don't do that, then you can't hear it mm-hmm. well, because why? Cause we're dead. Right. Yeah. Otherwise you, you won't hear it. You can't hear it. Mm-hmm. Even though you try to tell people or have them share in that experience and knowing that voice can't happen. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just my little thing, but I feel it, I feel it stronger and stronger all the time. Mm-hmm. That voice. Yeah. You know, that being led by that, mm. our Lord's voice. So that's good. If I can ask Matt, I'd love to know you mentioned just as you're, as you married and your, your spouse is following Jesus um, and she's listening for his voice as well. And it gets stronger for both of you. What are ways that, I, if if I can pry a little bit, just in your marriage that you're learning to hear his voice together. Uh, so, you know, a little as a year ago, I was going to church by, by myself. Mm-hmm. This is a, a tiny backstory. And yeah. I would say, hey, you want to go to church with me? And emphatically, no, mm-hmm. I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. Now it's like she's she's pulling me. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of like hmm. a wow moment that we that I have had where hmm. it's like, wow, yeah. this is great. God's working great things in our life. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's just the little things where we tend to get off the path a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, where we can reinforce one another. Where You have to either you have to be listening for that voice or your significant other can help you realize that, mm-hmm. too. Right. Because now even though it was kind of conducted like that before, now it's more of a biblical, you know, Christ like from a Christ like angle that she's interjecting on my, on my part. Like if Mm -hmm. I, you know, say something or I'm about to say something or, or I'm traveling on on, in an area that's a tiny bit off the path. She's like, you know, it's corrective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, still the Holy spirit corrects us. Yeah. You know, when you hear that, as soon as you step off the path, now it seems like as you get more into the word, more into fellowship with Christ that, and, and believers in church, that, that that movement off of a path is very minimal, where before it was like you travel way off the path. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't hear that voice. But now mm-hmm. you, had, you have so much influence around you which is a blessing to have mm-hmm. that path only be a little bit. And you're like, oh yeah, oh mm-hmm. yeah, you know, you're back again. And so, mm-hmm. 
she more than me, uh, I think, uh, you know, she's a much more patient, and, you know, in that respect. So it's, it's helpful in that way for me. That's yeah. very, very uplifting and edifying. And I think yeah. that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. So that's awesome. And so she's been following Jesus about a year now. Yeah. Oh. So I was doing a little bit more on my own. Yeah. And, um, I think the church that we go to now is, is such a blessing to be a part of that family that, you know, we search and search for churches mm-hmm. around here, going to several denominations, not knowing much about God's word. Mm-hmm. But we tried a lot of different things and a lot of different places. And just, there was always just something that was amiss. Mm-hmm. And we just, the closest church to us, we just, I decided to go to. And she joined me and it's been, you know, locked in from there. I mean, oh, it's just, man. yeah. Yeah. Um, and now she does she does morning walks with uh, her sisters from the church and mm. the parking lot every day. Wow. Um, she's got her own Bible study, women's Bible study she attends. Yeah. In addition to our Wednesday night service and Sunday service. And <laughs> you, guys, you guys have done the, the Christian plunge. I love it. <laughs> really, yeah. it's, it's awesome. Good for you guys. Yeah, yeah. Man, I just, yeah, I want to pray here and just thank the Lord for his goodness because uh, just hearing your story just makes me just thank him all that more because as I'm sure you have felt and have heard, I've just heard so many tough stories of when one one person in the marriage comes to believe in Jesus and the other doesn't and it just becomes an all-out war and it, it neutralizes your kids and it's just really, really hard. I mean, even um you know, I think it's Peter writes to that of, you know, what do you do as a wife if you follow Jesus, but your husband wants nothing to do with them, et cetera. And it just, it can be hard. And so right. God's yeah. grace to bring your, your spouse along with you. Um, awesome. I, I just, uh, we just thank him for that, you know, to, to have a partner Amen. pursuing Jesus together and what a gift. And so, yeah, totally. Yeah. Amen. Thanks for sharing, Matt. It's just good to hear a little backstory, and sure, sure. Uh, I love I love hearing that. So, let me pray, and then uh, we'll dig into some Romans eight together. Father, we just want to thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy. I think about how um, we'll get there eventually, but the end of Romans eleven, how Paul just bursts into song, um, this doxology of of just praise to you because after laying out for 11 chapters how amazing uh, your grace is, how utterly depraved and and wicked and lost uh, we are separated from you, that through Jesus you've made a way for us to be brought back into relationship with you, no longer dead in our trespasses and sins, but made alive in Christ. And all that is a gift from you. And so we don't boast or brag in our righteousness. We just thank you for the gift of of grace, your favor, uh, your mercy towards us. And so even as I hear, we hear the story of of Matt and his wife, uh, we just know that that's all grace. And just the fact that you would put them right next to a church, they would just be a great community where the word is taught and where they're walking in fellowship. We just, we thank you for that. And uh, Lord, may we stay humble yet confident in no longer being sinners, but you call us saints. 
um, no longer slaves, but now sons and daughters. And uh, we just revel in that. We just say, thank you, Jesus. And uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes um, during our time in Romans here to just be more in love with you and uh, more filled with your grace and empowered to live in a way that people see your love through our lives. Uh, we ask for your help this morning. Amen. All right, so um, if somebody could just take, we're just going to focus in on verses 12 through 17 this morning. So if somebody could just pick up there, Romans 8, and read 12 through 17 for us. Uh, before we start, yeah. can I share on something that I was thinking about during the week? Yeah, please do. Okay, um, going back to Romans 8.5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. So the lines set their minds on the things of the flesh got me thinking about the human brain and sin. And so I was thinking... Mm -hmm. um, God created man in his own image, and God gave man a brain that allows him to have analytical thought, mm. have true language. Adam's first responsibility was to name the animals, um, mm. art, to create objects to enjoy, worship, only man can experience faith, and morality, only, only, only to man could God speak of good and evil. Man's brain can also lead to his downfall when not used for the intended purpose that God created it for. Mm. The brain is like the control center of the body. Mm. It controls breathing and heartbeat, helps to think, learn, and make decisions, control different parts of the body, like the eyes, ears, mouth, hands, and feet, that can become tools for sin. Mm. Sin can be born from evil, evil thoughts and ideas from the brain. So going back to Proverbs 15:26, the thoughts of the wicked, the thoughts of the wicked are are an abomination to the Lord. Mm. But gracious words are pure. Mm. Thank you, Anne. That was really good work, John. I think you've been replaced on summary work, <laughs> <laughs> and you are now designated to do all summary work. That is so good. And she even used some of your definitions from Genesis, Sean. I couldn't help but notice that. She yeah. has to. Yeah. I, I love it. The bar has been raised. I know. Yeah. Shoot. And can I ask you, since you did so much good work on that, um, and we're going to kind of get into it in this passage, what, what do you think it looks like for the brain to be rewired according to the will of God? Um, as, as you think about that, it can either, you know, verse five is where you sprung that thought from, right? Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. So as you think about how powerful God has made the human mind or brain, um, wh what impact does the brain play on us becoming more like Jesus? Um, well, when we study the Word of God, that that for me rewires my brain to think mm. only of things that are of God. Mm. And so, you know, I'm not thinking of worldly things as much as I used to. Mm -hmm. So I keep my my myself focused on prayer and studying the Word of God. Just mm. you know, like 
you know, digging deep into the Word of God by joining uh, life groups mm-hmm. and, and yeah. church around other Christians like myself. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of hearing that from, before we've even gotten into the passage, which I love, I'm hearing that from both you and Matt already this morning, is to become more like Jesus is starts with the reshaping of your mind. Um, so I don't, do you, would you guys say that's that's safe to say biblically is that the the transformation of us moving away from our own wickedness into the image of Jesus kind of begins and ends with the, the transformation of the mind. Yeah, like going back to what we were we read earlier on John, you know, the voice of the shepherd is mm-hmm. like the word of God. Mm-hmm. It's just like when you dig deeper into it and study it, understand what's going on, um then you hear that voice and you know which direction he wants you to go. Mm-hmm. Because in my younger years, you know, I didn't know the word of God. Like I said previous times that I've never picked up a Bible in my life until I met Sean. Mm-hmm. And so even though I was raised as a Christian, mm-hmm. you know, the only voice that I hear is what the Catholic mm-hmm. Church was teaching. Mm-hmm. And so during my life, when I was experiencing my deepest I mean, my lowest times, I've had people approach me from different religions. Mm-hmm. And so if I didn't know the word of God mm-hmm. or a little bit of it, then I could have easily been swayed into joining those false religions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. And that's so important. And that's so well said. I think, <laughs> Sean, I know you've been beating this drum for a while and we're just praying desperately for our church to like grasp this idea. But and what a confusing world we live in. And there are so many voices and messages. And I think if anything, this past year has taught us is how deceitful our own news and politicians and our own hearts can be. And so if we don't know the one true voice, um, man, it is a confusing world. I mean, Mel and I think about that raising kids into this world. It's like, how the heck are you supposed to know what to believe when everybody has their opinion of the good life and what it means to be human, what it means to be male or female or uh, what justice looks like or injustice? Like the only way that our kids will have a chance to know what is right and wrong and what is good is if they are able to hear from the Lord. Otherwise, Man, what a what a whirlwind this world is, uh, full of lies and just always pulling us away. So, Matt and and Anne, it's just good to hear um, your thoughts this morning on how I mean, once again, just how important it is for us to be saturated with the Word. And so, all right, let's dig in, and then I, I think we're just going to continue with the same conversation because that's where it goes. So, twelve through seventeen, somebody got us. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live by the flesh, you shall die. But if you live through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
Where are we going to, Sean? I'm sorry, uh, David, where? Uh, 18? All the way through, all the way through 17, yeah. To what? Uh, 218, yeah. So, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah you're okay. good. Just one more word. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and the joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. Perfect. For I reckon that the sufferings at this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Perfect. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Um, Verse 12, uh, just a thought we'll work through verse by verse here this morning. Uh, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So, you know, he's been laying out this theology, especially the, the first 11 verses of Romans 8. And he's saying, so with this great news in mind, and we think back to verse 1 and 2 alone, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So with this great news in mind, we owe nothing and give nothing to our old sinful nature. So don't forget, we, we've talked about this quite a bit in Romans, that you and I go back to sin, and we sin when we forget who we are. When we remember our identity in Christ, who we are, who we belong to, um, that we're no longer slaves to sin, we walk in righteousness. But every time we sin, it's, it's a temporary lapse in our, um, our thinking of who we are. And uh, we go back to the old slave master, even when we know we don't have to, but it, it just, <clears throat> it's a momentary lapse in our, in our understanding of our identity. And uh, I was thinking about this verse and kind of this passage this week, and I'd appreciate if it stayed in this little group here, because uh, I don't want it to get out, but I thought it was a good example. I've got a really good friend right now who has been married only for a few months. I, I officiated his wedding a few months ago. And right now, he is just being torn apart. Um, and we're spending hours on the phone throughout the week right now because he has a very possessive family. And he's the oldest son. And uh, his mom and dad have always adored him and like truly just, I think, uh, idolized their own son. Very unhealthy. And so, um, so my friend finds himself newly married, trying to start his own new young family, um, trying to invest in his new bride for this first year of marriage and moving forward. And his parents and his sister like have his, their claws in him and like, they're kind of manipulating him that like, oh, he's leaving them. It's just, it's a bad situation. And my heart is just beating for him because he feels torn between the family he's always known his entire life and now his his new family with, with him and his wife. And I'm just trying to encourage him um, of what biblically leave and cleave looks like. Um, and it might need to be really like harsh, clean cut for a season and then reconciliation later on. Um and it just reminded me of this, is that when you get married um, and you leave and you cleave, you, you have, um, you're making a commitment to start a new life with this person, right? And um, so for my friend, his family has no right to call him back and demand just as much of him as they once did. He has started a new life. Now, he can go back and still be a part of, of honoring his, his mother and father and loving them and, and enjoying family dinners, but 
there should not and cannot be that same expectation. And it just got me thinking about this passage we're looking at that, um, you know, sin can kind of demand for us to come back. It can woo us, tempt us, call us back. But Paul right here in verse 12 is making very clear, you don't owe it anything. You've started a new life. You don't have to go back. Um, And so sin, you don't owe sin and it doesn't own you. Um, you are now owned by a good new master in Christ. And so uh, anything in verse 12 resonate with you guys before we move to the next line? All right. Could somebody read verse 13? We'll take a look at that. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So just a a summary of that, Um, Paul's saying you need to know that you'll die if you keep living the old sinful way of life, right? How clear has he made that, that the wages of sin is death, but you'll enjoy the reward of living in your new spiritual life if you put your old ways of thinking, believing, and living to death. And so the question I want to maybe just sit in for a while as, as a group this morning is, what does that look like for each of you? And Matt and, and Ann, I think in some ways, you already started to answer that question this morning, which I was like, hey, let's just keep the conversation going. But um, what does that look like on a daily, weekly basis to put the flesh to death and to walk in the newness of life um, and live in that? So anybody willing to share just kind of what, what's that approach look like? And as you think about that, um, there's a famous line by a, a pastor from a couple hundred no. years ago, John Owen, uh, and he said, right. "He said, be killing sin, or it will be killing you." So John Owen would say that if if you're not actively killing sin, it will actively be killing you. And so yeah. the thought I had of kind of modern day thought would be. The Christian life oftentimes feels like this escalator um, that uh, is moving down and we're trying to move up. (laughs) And uh, if you're not actively working up that escalator and you're just standing still like, I'm good, I'm a Christian, I'm I'm chill, um, that, uh, that escalator is constantly at work to keep pulling you down and away from your intended uh, destination. And so Um, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be moving up that escalator and putting sin to death and walking in new life or uh, it will be dragging you down. That is the the strong gravitational pull of sin and temptation. So what do you guys think? What's on a a daily, weekly basis putting sin to death and walking in newness of life look like? This is a pretty light, light topic, I guess, not, <laughs> yeah. that I'm going to to give to you because, like, you know, starving the flesh is an important thing, and I, that comes in various different levels and, and, and depths. Mm-hmm. So, like, my wife and I are doing Weight Watchers, mm-hmm. right? And one of the things I'm trying to starve my flesh at, and it's a little bit of a, like, a light topic, so it's not you know too incredibly in depth, but it's right. important because it's still yeah. 
you know, is to is giving up sweets, cakes, pies, cookies, cupcakes, whatever. You know, it's like I know that's not in and of itself sinful. I mean, it can be, I, I suppose, if you're overly overly indulging in it. Mm-hmm. But still, the desire is what I'm trying to focus on. Yeah, that yeah. desire to have. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be anything, but in this case, I'm just using that as an example. But my flesh wants it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I want it, mm-hmm. but I know that's not what's good for me. Mm-hmm. So a decision has got to be made where I'm going to starve that that desire. You know, and again, those that spectrum of desire can be a lot of different things. I mean, certainly there's a lot of worse things out there to be desirous of mm-hmm. that can lead us down that path. I mean, but I'm just using this as an example in my current life because quite frankly, you know, sitting around the house on a daily basis, recovering, mm-hmm. um, is starving. You know, that's the only kind of daily thing I can come up with at this point, because I'm really not out in the world too much, doing too much mm-hmm. within the confines of the house. Yeah. Not to say that there's not influences here and there is, but you know, but to me, it's just like, okay, I want that. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I need not have it. Mm-hmm. And so we made a deal with ourselves where, you know, we're not going to have any of those things. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. going to hold each other accountable during that time. Yeah. I know that's probably not quite hitting the mark as far as like what the context of the word is saying. But um, but in that respect, you know, we're, we're studying Ecclesiastes at church on Wednesday night Bible oh, studies. Nice. Yeah. <sighs> And, you know, as you sit there and you read and, and listen talk to talks about Solomon and the things that he indulged himself in, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, many of us have done the same in our lives, some more than others, mm-hmm. but that's fleeting and it's not worth, you know, the momentary pleasure, you know, uh, fix doesn't really do anything for you. And, and it takes you away from our true intentions is to glorify God and mm-hmm. be with him. And satisfy him, glorify him instead of satisfying ourselves and glorifying ourselves. Yeah. And it's like I can te- I can see where that is coming from. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he did it for no- wisdom and knowledge purposes. We do ours mostly for sinful service, sinful purposes. Mm-hmm. At least in the past, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a matter of you know not living to satisfy those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and <laughs> asking asking God to give us His Spirit so we can live through that and through Him for Him. Yeah. No. Hey, Matt, I, I think yeah, uh, I'm sorry, Dave. No, ahead. after you, Sean. Um, well, real quick, I want to apologize for the distractions this morning. It's it's tough. I got six big kids running around. And <laughs> yeah, we totally they, get they, that, man. They yeah. want my attention. Yeah. Anyway, um, Matt, I think your your actually your your example of sugar is is mm-hmm. pretty much dead on. Um, you know, we're not killing sugar, right? Yeah. It's, we're literally killing sugar. But what does it mean to put it to death? Mm-hmm. Um, when you go back to the first use of that word death mm-hmm. uh, at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, God said, you will surely die. Mm-hmm. And and we, we know that that meant twofold things, right? We, we are going to physically die because of that sin. But also, um, we're spiritually dead. We're separated from from our creator. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's exactly what Paul's getting at here. When you look back at, at the, the word death is it's not to, to, to literally, 
you know, stomp something out of existence. It's to separate yourself mm. from that object or that type of behavior. And that's mm. what Paul's getting at. So I think your sugar analogy was right, pretty much right on the money. Hmm. I think it really is. I, I love uh, I love food analogies, first of all. <laughs> so I, I think uh, I can always relate to that. But I think it is spot on, too, because I think food, more than anything, really quickly gets to, like, the heart of when we desire something, you know, and we kind of know it's not good for us, but we still want it, right? And that's really at its most basic level, that is the pull and the temptation of sin. I mean, the first sin was food related. I don't think it's because, you know, of, uh, you know, necessarily that's the reason. But um, it makes me think of, like, to maybe keep pushing forward with your analogy, Matt, it's kind of like, um, let's say your your desire, your long-term desire is like, man, I want to be in my 60s and 70s, and I would still want to be like hiking uh, with my grandkids. Like that's my greatest yeah. desire, right? Yeah. But my more immediate desire is this sweet, salty, sugary, fried <laughs> thing right in front of me. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And um, every human at that point has that decision to make, like, which one do I want, right? Um, I could have this and I'm totally going to enjoy it. Like this sweet, sugary, salty, fried thing is going to be delicious for the next few minutes. Um, But which do I desire more? Um, And I think in many ways, I think that that preaches to maybe the temptation you and I face every single day is, I mean, let's just say marriage-wise, let's say as as someone who's saying, man, I, I so desire a marriage where I am a, a one-woman man, I'm fully devoted to her and my thinking and my heart, and we enjoy a lifelong friendship of commitment to each other, and, and she never has any doubt in her mind or heart that uh, my affections are, are fully pointed towards her. And then I feel that the temptation or the pull of, of porn right in front of me. I think it's that mm-hmm. same dilemma, right? Of yeah, yeah, I can yeah. click on this, I can go to this, and it'll be a few minutes of, of pleasure, um, but long-term damage. So which, yeah. which do I desire more? And uh, some really good authors, like way old school, like uh, Augustine back in the 400s or C.S. Lewis, would talk about really that's what Christianity is all about is it's the Lord helping you give you the willpower to go after your greater desires and not your shallow desires. Right. And, um, to me, so anyway, all that to say, I I think your food analogy is pretty spot on because I think it captures really the, the instant gratification versus the delayed gratification of walking in uh, the power of the Holy Spirit saying, oh, I could have this now, but if I put that immediate desire to death, long-term uh, will be delight. And uh, I choose long-term over short-term pleasure. You know, but that's, what if you have that's hard the, to do. <laughs> what if you have the, you know, I think the, the, the dynamic, like you mentioned, is the momentary pleasure, uh, you know, that level of, satisfaction mm-hmm. is so short yeah and then it leads to a much bigger realm of shame or guilt or right. now some may may or may not experience those things 
you know, maybe some indulge in those things and never ever mm-hmm. feel that sense of guilt or shame for crossing the line, right. so to speak, even on a personal level. I had read a, a secular book some time ago called Power Versus Force, and uh, it basically, the author gave a, a, a range, like a graph, a range of zero being death is the most, you know, the ultimate thing. And then above that was like shame, guilt, mm-hmm. you know, and other mm-hmm. negative emotional type uh, experiences that one would have mm-hmm. based on mm-hmm. what type of lifestyle you lived. Mm-hmm. And that the majority of the population live somewhere uh, just above that level. Mm-hmm. So let's think about how that it works out from the standpoint of death, you know, living that sinful life and the results thereof. So then, it's not so much the thing that in and of itself that's the sin, but it's what are you? So if you live in constantly in a state of guilt, guilt shame, and anger, mm-hmm. or lust, or there and that in those things, that does things to your body. Mm. It destroys you, and that's a you know that's another way that it's destroying. Not only is it separating you, like you said, David, you're separating yourself from from God, mm-hmm. but you also are, are filling your body full of stresses. Mm. That is not intended on 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 succumbing to 100 percent of the time, mm-hmm. or not even 90 percent of the time, 75 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. And so you live in that that's that that realm yeah. of yeah. constantly understanding that, and maybe you don't realize it, but you still continue on that path. It's still a path that leads to death. Mm-hmm. But you you know if you're consciously satisfying those desires, and then you have that. You know, I keep going, we keep thinking about the Ecclesiastes when mm-hmm. Solomon's going through those things. He indulged in everything. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's like, it's a fleeting, and it's in the wind. It's like chasing the wind. Mm-hmm. You have this small window of satisfaction and you have this long-term realization that it's it's nothing. It's meaningless. It's not satisfying me long-term or, you know, in an in-depthly yeah. in-depth manner. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that, when I read that book, it was kind of interesting mm-hmm. about that you know, that realm. Yeah. It's like that whole book is just one long bummer. (laughs) You know, it's like one long bummer so that Solomon can just tell you, Hey, I've already experienced it all. So you don't, you don't have to, if you just choose to believe me, you could, you could cut right through all that, that wasted pain and energy. If you want to just follow me and believe that eternity is more important, (laughs) you know, it's just a big bummer, but it's like a really like, well, you know, you have to hear it. Right. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Ann. I've said, I've said enough. (laughs) Go ahead. Since we're on food analogy, I was thinking, (laughs) And you make the best cinnamon rolls, by the way, Anne. So, <laughs> so don't don't stop making those because of this conversation. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll even have some. <laughs> once in a while. So. Yeah. And when I have reason to. Anyway, yeah. um, talking about food analogies, I mean, God could be like the family doctor, mm-hmm. telling us you should stop eating sweets because you're diabetic. You should mm-hmm. stop eating a lot of salt because you have have hypertension. You should stop drinking because it will kill your liver. And for us, it's like we listen for a short time, but then the flesh mm. starts creeping. It's like, no, I'll just you know, eat a little sweet or I'll, it won't affect me. 
And pretty soon you don't realize that you're eating more flesh, I mean, more sweet because it's so good. And then you mm. go back to the doctor and he says, well, I can tell you've been eating sweets again because your sugar level is elevated. <laughs> yeah. And now you're complaining to me that you're sick again. So yeah. you know, like God telling us that is like, okay, you're coming back to me now because you have needs, you have prayers that need to be answered, you know. And you've fallen and started sinning again against mm. me. It's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Anne, I'm I'm so grateful you kind of brought that full circle because that's one of the questions I want to ask. Is now we read the the next couple of verses and we'll we'll wrap up here in ten fifteen minutes. So I want to ask the question in the Christian life: how how is being how is putting sin to death? And walking in this newness of life different than following a diet or different than, I mean, think about right now in our world how well the self-help industry is doing, right? Like book after book, podcast after podcast, TV show after TV show of here's how you clean up your life. Here's how you make your life better. Here's how you improve your health. Here's how you um, can be better with your finances. All good things, right? But... My question would be, what is, what is God's vision for true transformation for the human being? And how is that different than maybe from the slew of self-help um, resources that are, I mean, America is just thriving. I think at some point, a few years back, I read that it's $11 billion industry self-help, you know, between um. Instagram and um, books and all that, like, Self, self-help does really well because we all realize we want to be, quote-unquote, a better version of ourselves. But my question for you guys, let me read the next couple verses, and maybe we'll just have a conversation around this, is how is the Christian vision of transformation different from maybe the world's understanding of self-help and becoming a better person? Does that question make sense? Can you repeat that question, Dave? Okay. Um, how does the Christian vision of transformation differ from maybe our world's vision or understanding of self-help and becoming a better person? Does that make sense or should I say it a different way? Because I I think maybe we should start here. Would Would you say there is and should be a difference? I think for me it's a difference because as Christians are our goal our goal is long term yeah and for the world today it's like they want immediate transformation mm-hmm. which is a lot of times just short term yeah yeah so if they don't immediate results right away they just like move on to the next thing mm-hmm. okay yeah, let me let me read the next couple of verses, and I, I really want to just kind of hone in on that for today. Um, so verse 14, for all who are led, so once again, we're on the heels of what it means to put to death um, living in the flesh and, and living in this new life. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, or sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. We may not get to it today, so we may pick up there next week, but it will be important to talk about what it means to suffer with Christ. Um, So if we get to it today, great. If not, um, something to look forward to next week. Um, But yeah, as, as you guys look at that and you think maybe overall where we've been in Romans so far, um, what do you guys think? Um, if, if maybe I'll ask the question this way, if someone were to come up to you and say, how is God's plan for changing my life different than from the average Oprah book I could read or the average Dr. Oz book I could read or, uh, you name it, what, what would be our answer? What, what is God's vision for how we change and grow compared maybe to our world's understanding of, of how humans become, quote-unquote, better people? I think it seems to tend to... Oh, go ahead, John. I'm sorry. Go for it, Sean. Sean, go ahead, man. All right, let's go with, let's go with Sean and then... Matt. I want to hear what you... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm going to piggyback off you, Sean. Go <laughs> right. for it, man. <laughs> All right, here we go. I'm making the executive decision here. Sean right. and Lil Matt. <laughs> Unless Sean's a distraction. Hey, uh, yeah, no, it's okay. Um, Dan, I, there we are. Yeah. Can, can you wait for a little bit? Okay, thanks for the more coffee. Um, so, I, I, would, I would say that... Any, any motivation to improve ourselves outside of uh, the design of our creator simply leads to emptiness. It's truly mm-hmm. empty. And so <clears throat> if we're looking to improve, uh, improve our lives, um, I think it's uh, we need to do it under the design of the creator. Otherwise it truly just leads to more death. It's just mm-hmm. empty. Just like Solomon said, it's hevel, right? There's nothing. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's smoke. Yeah. Um, but, and I think in that it's interesting because in that we have such a desire to control ourselves, just like we see at the tree, right? Um, we have such a desire to control ourselves that we, we really miss the obvious, mm-hmm. um, as Romans talked earlier about, uh, in chapter one about, uh, you know, the glory of God is revealed in, in, um, in creation. And so uh, again, any, anything, any type of self-help is true. It's just empty. It's mm-hmm. truly empty. Um, we're, we're playing outside of the design of the creator or the, the desi- how the creator designed us mm-hmm. to reflect him. And once we play outside of that, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. It's literally, it's empty space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I was just going to jump on with that and just say, you know, two things. So God asks us to love him and to love our brothers and sisters mm-hmm. and then love as ourselves, but it doesn't say to love ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, we should actually, but I think the emphasis is putting it away from us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is on God and on others mm-hmm. and not turning it to ourselves. You know, and then I, then I think of, you know, first Corinthians 13, you know, the love chapter. Mm hmm. You know, that none of those things talk about self. Hmm. It seems like to me that if, you know, you turn it inward, 
then you're just going to get more like what Sean said. You're just chasing after the wind and, and mm. chase the smoke filled nothing yeah. hollow and not, not really meaningful. Mm-hmm. And I still struggle with this from time to time with, you know, especially people that, you know, not, maybe even myself that act, act ignorantly on occasion, you know, finding love to, to give in those two moments, mm-hmm. which is tough. But I think is when you take the emphasis off yourself and, and put it on another, for their well-being, for their edification, I think that's really satisfying self. Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah, like the, in that industry that you turn around and look at yourself, you're just, again, it's a momentary fix, whereas you're highly likely to go back to doing the things that you want to be, you want to get away from. Mm-hmm. It's not going to last. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only lasting thing is to love God and love others. Mm-hmm unconditionally yeah that's the challenge hmm. that's the that's one of my recurring prayers is that i'd be able to do that more effectively mm-hmm. a lot of times that voice shows up for me when i'm not doing it mm-hmm. i'm being critical or judgmental of another for ignorance or some other you know craziness i've seen that goes on mm-hmm. you know that's the thing i need to ask i ask for help with because i know that that voice tells me at that moment hey stop Mm-hmm. stop yeah. judging me stop judging me right yeah <clears throat> my people yeah. you know what I mean yeah it's good so. yeah it's a lie man it's just it's it's um it's you know sin that's what it is it's sin when we're when we're fulfilling ourselves but it's just a lie and it's man it's it's I think it's probably the most difficult to overcome is that selfishness um mm-hmm. because it it it, it seems to be feeding something, some type of ego or something, some desire to be our own God. Mm-hmm. But in the end, every time it truly is, is empty. Yeah. And, and we know it. We even play it through our heads sometimes. Um, and we don't, I don't think we literally have conversations sometimes in our head. Oh, I shouldn't do this. It's going to be empty. But we play it through our head knowing through experience. We've done this so many times before. But yet we still buy into that lie each mm-hmm. time, man. Yeah. I'm really grateful you guys both touched on selfishness. I I think once again, kind of to return back to um, Augustine, some of his thoughts, he used the language of um, humans. uh, Well, if you look at Genesis, the the beginning of the story in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, God is really described as a very self-giving God. Like as creator, it's all about what he makes and then gives. So he makes and he gives. Um, and then he invites others into continuing. And you mentioned this on the front end that humans get to create, right? Like that's, uh, so God makes, he creates, he invites people in to create more and then give away. Like that is God's purpose for humanity is to be people who love creating and thinking and, and working and then being generous with that. But what happened in Genesis 3 is humanity collapsed in on themselves. And uh, we became uh, all about ourselves. And and really, that has been the story of human history from that time to where we are now is, is life is all about us. It's about me. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll help people as long as it helps me type mentality. But God's at work, his restoring or transforming us is is restoring us to who he originally made us to be. And that's to be selfless creatures, not selfish. 
And so, Matt and, and Sean, as you guys hit on on selfishness, I think that's that's really the key is is God is working in our hearts to restore us back to uh, people made in His image who love to give um, away, who love to Matt, as you said, love God, love others uh, more than ourselves. And so that seems to be the difference is is self-help and all that. Like it's it's great to pursue some of these things and but the question is, are we doing it for ourselves so that we feel better or are we doing it so that we're in a position where we can better and more easily give to others? And so it seems to be the heart of transformation that God's after is I'm going to shape you in the image of Jesus. And who is Jesus and what has he done? He He gave every part of himself for our benefit as he laid down his life on the cross. So to change is to become more like Jesus and to become more like Jesus is to die to ourselves and to give ourselves away in such a way that other people benefit and, and flourish. Um, and I think that in some ways goes back to the Jesus' truthful statement of, you want to follow me, you're going to deny yourself, take up your cross. Um, and through yeah. that, though, um, you will become somebody who loves God and loves others more than yourself. So I think selfishness is right there at the heart of that. So any thoughts on that? Um, maybe as we wrap up here in a couple minutes. I think one of the reoccurring things for me guys is I keep hearing you're not your own. You Mm. were bought with a price. Mm -hmm. That immediately squashes that any sort of anything self-related to me. Yeah. I just want to throw it out there because it popped in as you were talking to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Bye, babe. Love you. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're not your own. Yeah, it's good. And if you keep looking at this Romans 8 passage, that's what he's reminding us as well, is you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption. Um, he seems to be really showing us the, the, the very stark contrast and difference between being controlled by your old sinful, selfish nature. It demanded uh, things from you, and you lived in fear. But now, as adopted sons and daughters of your father, the Spirit leads you voluntarily, right? And you submit, you recognize, I was bought with a price, as you said, Matt, and I'm I'm led by the Spirit of God, but I'm not... I'm not um, micromanaged or controlled in the way that the sinful nature controlled me, right? Um, I'm led, I'm guided, I'm steered, I'm encouraged, I'm exhorted by the Spirit. Brings, uh, it brings a new uh, aspect, Dave, as we talked about a while back, when Christ says, follow me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Being led, led out of a, a life of death into a life of, of true living. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's, man, that brings back our, I hadn't tied that thought together, Sean. That brings back our heaven and hell discussions a couple years ago. Yeah. To truly like, follow him up out of the grave into new life. That's really yep. cool because, you know, I'm spending a couple of weeks kind of connecting the Gospel of John to where we'll be in First Peter. And I think the hinge is all about follow me. Peter, follow me. Um, You've been trying to lead and be this zealous guy who comes out swinging swords, but like, just follow me, feed my sheep, follow me. So, yeah. And when yeah. you look at the, you look at, you know, 
grabbing the fisherman and, and mm-hmm. the tax collector. He literally brought them out of a life of, of death to, to true living. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's pretty, a cool, pretty cool concept. That's a cool connection. That actually, that's going to play with my mind a little bit as I think about mm-hmm. this Sunday sermon. That's really good. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, guys, next week what we'll do, we'll pick up in 18 and move forward, but I'll probably jump back to 17 because there's some some incredible stuff um, as we talk about being changed and led by the Holy Spirit of what it means to suffer with Christ. Um, and Paul elsewhere will use the language of um, koinonia, to, to fellowship with Christ, to to be so um, connected to Christ that we see our life here on earth as a reenactment of his death and his resurrection. Um, we get to take up a cross, follow him, and experience the crucifixion and the resurrection as we participate with Christ in how we live here on earth. And to Sean's point, as we follow him into eternity. And so just some incredible stuff. I know it never sounds that exciting to talk about suffering, <laughs> but... Paul's vision for what it means to share in the fellowship of Christ is it's it's pretty amazing of what it means that we get to um, enjoy fellowship and relationship with Jesus while here on earth. So we'll we'll pick up from there and move into uh, as you can see that the headline for the next section is future glory. So well that's what next week will be about. So any other thoughts as we wrap up? Yeah, I. I was watching um, the third episode of The Chosen season two, mm-hmm. and there was, you know, when when uh, Mary and the uh, men were talking about why Jesus chose them, mm-hmm. and she said, "I don't think he's waiting for us to be holy. I think he's here because because we can't be holy without him." Mm-hmm. So I thought that was like really that's awesome. That's a good yeah, line. It's true about us today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a really good line. Thank you. That's a really good. That's a really good uh, series. Hmm. Like they take a lot of liberty filling in gaps and such, but I think uh, I think the overall message is really good. Have you seen it, Dave? I've seen season one. I'm waiting on season two because Mel, you know, Wednesday nights Mel's doing uh, walking through season one with her discipleship group. So I'm gonna wait and then we'll watch season two together. But yeah, it's good. Perfect. They do an incredible job of telling the story. And like you said, with some liberties, but I don't. I think in a way that is faithful to Scripture, not like trying to appease a culture that like, you know, make, make the Bible more interesting, right? I, I think they're faithful to Scripture and how they do it. Hey, uh, just as a, a wrap-up here, mm-hmm. I think you'll get a kick out of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Uh, had a conversation with uh, John Kampschmidt. Oh no, 